An important term has got to be part of every cybersecurity practitioner's lexicon, adversary tradecraft. It's how skilled other countries are at cyber attacks. Some of them are very good. A comprehensive report from CrowdStrike details the skills of cyber mischief makers in a number of countries and what defenders in the United States ought to be doing about it. Joining me in studio with more, Dmitry Alperovich, Chief Technology Officer at CrowdStrike. Mr. Alperovich, good to have you in. Thanks for having me, Tom. All right, let's start at the beginning here. Adversary statecraft, you've looked at this pretty carefully. Give us a sense of what's going on. What is the state of adversary statecraft with respect to cyber attacks? Well, for a number of years now, we've been tracking various nation-state adversaries that have been attacking our government networks, our commercial networks, individuals. And there are really four nation-states that are the most predominant actors that we see in cyberspace, Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Shouldn't be surprised to anyone listening because it's the same nation states we face in the physical world as our major adversaries, and cyber is just that and that further extension of the physical conflict that, that we face with these actors. And what are they good at in particular? Well, it depends on the different adversaries. So when it comes to China, for example, they're extremely good at espionage, both traditional espionage, breaking into networks like one uh, um, uh, allegedly in the Navy uh, and stealing secrets, uh, but also commercial networks and stealing intellectual property and trade secrets and designs that can help their own industrial base, uh, both state-owned and private sector, to rival our own economy. Others are doing uh, more nefarious things. Iranians are more interested in destructive attacks. North Koreans are stealing money to help fund the regime. And the Russians, of course, are engaged in information operations and a whole slew of other nefarious activities. Yeah, I guess maybe Russia would be more interested in something kinetic, maybe bringing the financial system to a halt or the electrical grid to a halt where they could gain a kinetic or strategic advantage, whereas China seems to be more long-term, economically motivated, and then militarily motivated. Certainly the primary motive right now for China is to expand their economy, become a global superpower, and that's what's driving most of cyber activities. With regards to Russia, you're absolutely right that they're using cyber as a method of coercion, uh, particularly right now against Ukraine, um, and this has been a um, training ground for them, launching attack after attack, destructive attacks in Ukraine, including attacks that have taken out uh, power in Ukraine on two occasions uh, in the past, and in one case with regards to the NotPetya attack, which uh, has been called by the White House the most destructive attack in history. Uh, it was an attack against Ukraine that spread and attacked major Western companies and t- take, it took them down for a considerable period of time. Yeah, so in terms of cyber, then you really can't separate the f- public sector from the private sector, especially look at all the trading partners and research institutions connected to the Navy that have been hacked, as well as the Navy itself has been famously reported now in the past few days. That's right. The, the, the sort of the, the uh, weak underbelly for Department of the Defense is all of these contractors, and there are literally tens of thousands of them, um, not just the big ones that you think about, the sort of the big uh, the Boeings of the world, the Northrops. They're actually pretty good at cybersecurity, but you have the mom-and-pop shop that are developing key technologies and maybe a five-people company with the uh, you know son or, or daughter of, of the CEO that's in high school is really your IT person, right? And those companies may be part of a huge contract that is developing something for the Navy or, or the Air Force or someone else. And when they're uh, inf- infiltrated by a nation state, they really have no chance. And this valuable intellectual property can be stolen by countries like China and used to, to build up their own military capabilities. Give us a sense of the tactics and techniques that you have noticed in recent months. Well, one of the things we started tracking uh, in this year's Global Threat Report um, is uh, the concept that we call breakout time, which is really a measure of how fast and how good these adversaries are 
uh, once they break in. Um, the idea is that it's pretty easy for anyone to break in. All you need to do is send a bunch of emails to people, uh, spare phishing emails that are lures that they will click on. Um, and if it's uh, at all uh, plausible, you're going to find someone that's going to click on it, particularly if you send enough of them. So that's not the hard part. But once you're in, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to accomplish your objectives. Just because um, you got some low-level person inside an organization to click and sort of let you in and, and establish a beachhead within that network, you still need to move off that system and get to other systems within the network that actually have the information that you need. So the breakout time is really that measure of how fast adversaries break out from that beachhead and get to other critical assets. And what we found was very, very interesting information because we started ranking adversaries by how fast and good they are uh, in terms of breakout time. And we found that the Russian nation state actors are the fastest, and they clocked at just 18 minutes from initial uh, beachhead establishment within the network to breaking out and, and getting to their objectives. But if uh, they have scripted software, why does it take 18 minutes? How come not 18 milliseconds? The reason why breakout time is important is that actually is not measuring automated attacks. It is measuring hands-on keyboard activity where you have a human driving this. Got it. If you think about it, once you get in, once you get someone to click on the link, that part can be automated. But then from that point forward, it really is a human-driven operation because you have to figure out where you are, where to go, where's the valuable data, how to get there. You have to improvise, be quick on your feet, and, and uh, uh, get around the various protection methods that may be in place. We're speaking with Dmitry Alperovich, Chief Technology Officer at CrowdStrike. So if Russia is the fastest, how fast is China and North Korea? Great question. So Russia is the fastest, and they're actually eight times faster than their nearest competitor. And in second place is actually not China but North Korea. And uh, their breakout time was at two hours and 20 minutes. And it, it tells you how fast they are, how good they, they've become, and uh, really what a danger they now pose um, to, to um, uh, networks all over the world, but, but specifically in the federal government. Yeah, if some poor operator there takes two hours and tw- 30 minutes, they probably get shot. <laughs> There's certainly a, a motivation uh, that, that exists there that perhaps is not present in other countries to do well. Uh, but China was in third place, and they were actually twice as slow as North Koreans. They were uh, just a little over four hours at breaking out. Iranians were at five hours, and all criminal groups combined uh, were on average at 10 hours. And and the reason why, why this breakout time is so important is from a defensive perspective, this really tells you how fast you need to be at detecting and responding to these attacks so that you can actually contain the damage. So if you're facing Russian nation state actors, you have just about 18 minutes to find them and kick them out before the damage is done. Not a lot of time. You can't go out to lunch and uh, get get a cup of coffee. You, every second counts. You, you, you have to really respond quickly. Now, the Homeland Security Department has for a long time had something called Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. They get a couple of hundred million dollars for it every year to enable them and other federal agencies to do it. Is your sense that it's fast enough? It sounds like you have to scan every 17 minutes to make sure you don't get broken out by a Russian invader. Uh, the, the current phase of CDM really is not sufficient because what we really need to do is hunt continuously on the networks to find adversaries as quickly as possible. One of the things that I've advocated recently in my testimony in front of the U.S. Senate um, in the Armed Services Committee is that every U.S. government agency should adopt something that we've been promoting in the commercial sector very successfully, which is what I call the 11060 rule. It's really a measure of speed, how fast defenders can be at detecting, identifying, and investigating and responding to intrusions. So uh, what 11060 rule means is that there are basically three simple metrics that every organization out there can measure. What is your average time to detect? 
detection of an incident, average time to investigation, and average time to remediation. The reason it's called 11060 is the best organizations we work with out there focus on detecting one minute on average, investigating 10 minutes, and responding within one hour. Now, as we've seen, even with the Russians, uh, one hour may not even be sufficient. You may have to be even faster than that. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is many, many organizations, particularly in the federal government, currently don't measure those statistics in minutes, but measure it in months, if not years. Um, So we have a long way to go. Yeah, really, shouldn't this be automated? Because you can't hire enough people forever to find and mitigate and respond to all of those threats at the rate they come in. Those organizations you cite as best practices, isn't it automated for them? So from a detection perspective, most of it should be automated. Um, You're absolutely right. Although humans will always be a critical component of cyber. Cyber is unlike any other area of technology um, where we are facing a sentient opponent. Someone on the other end that is um, a human being that is looking at everything we're doing and trying to find ways to evade it. So for uh, a very, very long time, I think cyber will uh, not be replaced by robots, if ever, and uh, job security uh, for people in this profession is uh, is going to be around for, for a long time. Now, we talk about these attacks like they're rats coming in the back door and they're trying to find the kitchen, and you step on them and they don't make it. <laughs> what are the actual remediation steps that you have to take if some malware is planted somewhere on the network? Absolutely. Well, the first thing you, you want to do is isolate it, to cut it off, uh, prevent it from talking to the mothership, the adversary that, that is actually going to use that malware to control um, their actions within the network. So cut off that network connection as quickly as possible, either to the malware itself or potentially, if you don't know what the malware is, to the systems that they've gotten a hold of. And then you can start removing it, deleting the files, undoing the damage that's been done, and, and taking those actions uh, very rapidly. And how has cloud computing affected this whole Calculus. Cloud is a massive advantage for defenders. Um, it really has created an environment where defenders now have an asymmetric advantage over the adversary. For the longest time in cybersecurity, we've had the saying that uh, defenders have to be right 100% of the time, an attacker has to succeed only once. And uh, that's been true up until the cloud, because the cloud turns this um, advantage in favor of the defenders because you really get the benefit of scale and information sharing that happens automatically where you can now see attacks that are happening not just against one machine or one network, but everyone. And uh, if an attacker is going to use an att- uh, a particular technique against the victim, they now have to worry that if that technique is identified, they won't be able to use it against anyone else because that protection will be seamlessly uh, shared across the entire cloud platform. So that makes the insider threat then the most potent in some ways. Well, insiders have always been uh, the most dangerous actors because they're already in. They already have access. They know what's valuable. And uh, few people are paying attention to what insiders are doing. So as we've seen in many of the leaks that have occurred um, over the last 10 years in the in, uh, intelligence community and other parts of the federal government, it's, uh, it's a huge problem um, and uh, something that – continues to plague us, and unfortunately will be with us as long as there are people that are willing to do us harm. Now, cybersecurity, protection of both federal and private sector assets, is for the umpteenth time on the Government Accountability Office's high-risk list that just came out a couple of weeks ago. What should cybersecurity practitioners in the government be focusing on in the year ahead? I think they should focus on three things. Cloud adoption, it's really a game changer. There is almost no organization in the federal government that can do the the job as well as the cloud providers like Google's and Amazon's of the world because of the capabilities they have, the the ability to recruit talent and and incentivize uh, them with stock options and 
and uh, compensations packages that the government, frankly, can't afford. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, they should focus on hunting. Too much we focus on building barriers and trying to prevent someone from coming in. The reality is dedicated adversaries like the nation-state actors will get in. There's just no question about it. So you need to assume that they're already in. You need to hunt for them and find them on the network and eject them as quickly as possible and really focus on that 11060 rule. It's all about speed. It's a race against the adversary. So get to them as quickly as possible. So in other words, while you're inspecting your fences, don't just bring your wire puller, bring your shotgun. <laughs> exactly right, but also focus on who's already jumped the fence. All right. Dmitry Alperovich is Chief Technology Officer at CrowdStrike. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Find a link to the company's latest report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.